Uh, as Nicole said, I am Jamerson Watson, uh, and I'm a son of this house. I actually used to be the local outreach director from 2012 to 2016. And so that was just an amazing opportunity to connect with communities, uh, to connect with young people, to connect with their families all around the East Bay, all around the Bay Area. It was just such an incredible opportunity. It just melts my heart each and every time I think about all the time that I spent with a core team of amazing, amazing people doing local outreach work. And so uh, in 2016, I actually moved to Washington, D.C. because my wife got a job out there. And so coincidentally, um, it took me probably about another 16 months after she moved to D.C. for me to move to D.C., number one, because um, I loved the job that I was doing. Um, I was actually with an organization called Bay Area Women Against Rape, and I was their anti-human uh, trafficking uh, program director. And so I just loved my clients. I loved the, the community members that we work with, uh, just all those wraparound services that we pro were providing for young people who were uh, being trafficked was just life-changing. Uh, but the second reason was that I loved my community here at Lineage. And so I just really didn't want to, I just wanted to stay connected to them so bad, but I knew that at some point that God was moving me away from the Bay Area. But the reason that I think that this is apropos is because now we're living in this kind of like brave new world, if, we, if you will, where we're really connecting in multiple ways. And so, you know, obviously being part of a church community is important. And if you can't get to the church house, you definitely should be connected to a community in person. Because as human animals, that's just the way that we were built. We're social creatures. So during my generation, you know, after school, you go outside and you play and you stay out all day. When the streetlights came on, you knew that it was time to go home. But at the same time, we were the first generation to have access to a virtual space like these uh, home computer games, right? And so I distinctly remember, you know, I would go outside and I would stay outside and I would play all day. But at the same time, I could spend a Saturday afternoon just sitting in the house playing my Atari, playing my ColecoVision, playing my Sega Genesis, so on and so forth. And so I remember those experiences very vividly, playing some amazing games when I was coming up, you know, Donkey Kong and, and Frogger. And uh, one of my favorites was a game called Pole Position. So if anyone knows anything about Pole Position, Pole Position was a race car game where you would essentially just drive around the track a number of times. And if anybody knows anything about like NASCAR or stock car racing or anything like that, it's not exactly a circle. It's more of like a kind of like an oblong kind of oval shape. And so cars just kind of go around and around and around, which to me as a child seemed to be boring, but there was something about that virtual experience of playing that video game where you were just going around in circles that was just so enrapturing. Like I could just stay connected to that game. I remember one particular Saturday, I played for like eight hours straight. And I don't know how that happened. I don't know where my mom was. You know, she was probably thinking like, son, what are you doing? But I just remember it kept going around and around. And the thing that was so much of a struggle or, the ch or a challenge for that game is that you weren't playing against another player. You were actually playing against like the CPU itself. So it was like a computer generated car that you were racing against. And sometimes it felt like the game was cheating, right? Because you would get, you know, bumped off the road and very rarely did other cars get bumped off the road that the actual game was playing. Or sometimes you feel like you were being like passed, you know, uh, by other cars that were just going around in a circle and you had no control over that because it was the game playing against you. Right. And so when God, for some reason, over the last like week, laid that on my heart, I instantly knew that the title of the sermon had to be, are you in pole position? So let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you for this opportunity 
Lord God, we thank you for bringing us together, both those few people who made it here in person, as well as all those people in this virtual space. We just ask you to let your word not fall back void, Lord God. We just ask that you just connect with people everywhere, no matter where they are. And don't let, Lord God, your presence just dwell in this place. Also let it extend, Lord God, into homes and, and, and workplaces and, and parks that someone may be looking at their mobile phone, Lord God, all over this globe. We just thank you and we honor you. We praise you, Lord God. And just bless this word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So... When I started thinking about it, God laid it on my heart, this analogy of this pole position, I was like, but God, besides playing that game when I was a kid, I know zero about NASCAR, stock cars, etc. So what I had to do was I had to do a little research. So I'm going to read something to you real quick. This is a description of what pole position means. This really helpful article says, whether it's the Indianapolis 500 or race at a local dirt track, Pole position is exactly where every race car driver wants to be. The term comes from horse racing, where the number one horse starts on the inside of the first row next to the inside pole. In car racing, a driver in pole position, also called the pole sitter, starts the race in, first, in the first row on the inside lane. The pole sitter starts the race at the front of the pack and doesn't have to fight his or her way through traffic to get into first place. I want you all to just sit with that for a second. Pole position basically means for the car that gets into pole position, they start out at the front of this oblong track. Not only do they start out in the front line, because think about any community that you're part of, whether you're here on the 580 or whether you may be like headed up to upstate New York on the 90, no matter whether you are across the country, there's always a highway where you're like, man, this is like mad traffic. So think about that in terms of you sitting in traffic and you have, you're stacked behind all these cars. Now think of yourself in a stock car. You could potentially be behind a number of cars even though what? You are all running the same race. So being in this pole position is so special, it's so unique, because it means not only are you in front, but you're also closest to the inside of the track. If anybody knows anything about track, obviously, it's a, it, like I said, it's an oblong figure. And the farther you are away from the center, the greater your distance to go around the actual track itself. So pole position is a very unique position that's different from other sports. So like when I was in high school, I ran track and field, right? I wasn't that fast, but you know, God put me there anyway. So it's the same type of positioning on the track as far as the way the track itself is shaped, but they stagger you depending on where you are and what lane you're in. So if I were in lane one, I would have my blocks there and I would be here. But the person in lane two would be here. The person in lane three here, the person in lane four. So that it gave us all an equal shot of getting to the finish line at the same time, not so in car racing. Specifically, pole position is positioning yourself in a place where you have a strategic advantage over everyone else. So it goes on to read, so how do you get into pole position? Although it differs depending on the type of car race, pole position is usually earned by the driver who races the fastest lap in a qualifying race. Most races require drivers to qualify for or, or quote, earn a position in the race by providing, by proving with the first laps that their cars are fast enough to actually compete. 
At the Indianapolis 500, for example, pole position is determined on the first day or the first full round of a qualifying run called time trial. I know this is a lot, but stay with me. During time trials, car runs four laps, a total of 10 miles, as fast as they can. The faster they go, the farther up the pack they'll start. The fastest car on the first day, which is called pole day, wins the pole position. Even if other cars go faster on the remaining days of the time trial, they will always, always start behind the pole sitter. So Jameson, that's a really interesting analogy. Like, but tell me a little bit more about how that's applicable. So when I think about this, I actually go to the book of Second Chronicles. And so we'll go to a scripture in a second, but let me set the stage for you really quickly. So as most of you, or some of you probably know, um, after King Solomon, the the kingdom of Israel split into two different kingdoms. So there was the kingdom of Israel, and then there was the kingdom of Judah. Now, the kingdom of Israel, all of the kings that followed King Solomon were almost always exclusively wicked, right? But the kingdom of Judah was unique because even though they had a, a line of wicked kings, there were four kings stood out who were righteous from the beginning of their reign all the way to the end. And one of those, one of those kings was King Jehoshaphat. Now, Jehoshaphat lived in a time where the, the children of Judah were constantly at war with other nations. And so at one particular time, there were actually three nations that Judah was facing against. There were the Ammonites, there were the Moabites, and then there were people from a kingdom that was near what they call Mount Sarah. So there were three kingdoms that were coming against the children of Israel. So the Bible actually says, and we'll get to our scripture in just a second, the Bible actually says... Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. Stop there for a second. Don't you think it's really interesting that sometimes people will see our trials and tribulations coming at us even before we do? So this was the case that said, some people told Jehoshaphat, right? A vast army was coming against you. It says, alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. He proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. Let's read that line again. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed the fast for all of Judah. It didn't say that Joseph, Jehoshaphat like, went down and got in sackcloth and ashes and mourned himself. It says, no, he called for all the people, translation, all of the body, to fast and pray. The people of Judah came together to seek the help from God. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. So specifically, this is the verse that I want us to capture, our, captive, our hearts to be captivated on. 2 Corinthians 20 and 17. I'm reading the New King, King James Version. Verse number 17 says, you will not need to fight this battle. This was what the Lord told Jehoshaphat after all of the children of Israel prayed and fasted. You will not need to fight this battle. Position yourself. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Wow, that's so powerful. What this suggests to us is when we seek after the Lord, right, we think that sometimes pole position, oh, so what you're saying, Jamerson, is that we automatically get into pole position. No. When we prostrate our hearts and turn our hearts to the Lord and seek after his justice and his mercy and his, and his love and his kindness, that's where we put ourselves into position to be able to really reach for those things that God has for us, right? Paul said, let us not, he said, 
let us not grow weary. Well, specifically, he said uh, that we are not saved through our own efforts, lest any person should boast, right? The Bible talks specifically about how none of us come to the Lord of our own volition. A lot of us think, oh, well, you know, I, I, I was just sitting around and I just all of a sudden one day woke up and I was like, I need Jesus. No, the Bible says that what? We come because he bids us come. So this is not a passive movement. Getting into pole position is not just standing there and inactively doing nothing. It's actually putting ourselves into the best position by seeking after the Lord, by seeking after his face, right? This faith walk isn't magic. It's not luck, right? When things happen to us as believers, it's like, oh, no, you're lucky. No, 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 I'm not lucky. I have the most high God on my side fighting for my battles for me, right? So when we think about pole position, we're thinking about it connected to a God who's not a genie, like PB, you know, has said, Pastor Benjamin said sometimes. We don't just rub the magic lamp and say, oh, God, give us three wishes. That's not how God works, right? God's not a butler. God doesn't just clothe us with the cloak of faith just because we ask for it. No, it's specifically him putting it in our hearts to ask for those things and then us what responding to those requests. And so sometimes as we seek, as we seek after the Lord, it's not all like rainbows and kittens and like unicorns. Sometimes it's an uphill battle, it feels like, from within. I'll give you one example. We all, it always seems like the opposition is always right there when we're seeking to do the thing that we're supposed to do. So I'm hesitant to tell the story, but I'm going to tell it anyway, because it just happened literally a few days ago, a couple of days ago, like hours ago, really. So some of you all know Chris Davies, who's the son of the house, over at our San Francisco campus. Really cool guy, like man of God, love this guy. He travels a lot. So sometimes when he travels and I happen to be in town, I'll stay with Chris Davies. And me and Chris Davies have a lot in common, um, you know, except he's like eight foot nine and I'm like two foot three or whatever. But in general, we have the, we have the same hearts, which is why I think we really connected and bonded ever since we first met. So sometimes I'll stay at his, at his place. He'll also loan me his car. So one day, there's some people in our, in our, our church community who um, were impacted by COVID. And so I thought that I'd go out and get a bunch of those like home tests that I could then take around to a few people so that they can take and find out if they had actually contracted COVID. So I say that not to just like put myself up and say, oh, look how good I am. I'm saying that because I just want y'all to know I was really, really, really trying to do the right thing. So I get into Chris's car. So if anything knows something similar about me and Chris also, we both drive Toyotas, right? Which is the same make of car, but Toyota got different models. So Chris drives a Camry and I drive a Yaris, which means that like our height difference, Chris has about another extra foot and a half on his Camry that I have on my Yaris. So I get in his Camry and you already see where I'm going. I start to back out. He has this pillar right next to his parking space and because I just wasn't being careful, I cut the wheel a little bit too quickly. And all I heard was, and I was like, my God, Jesus. I was like, Lord, I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to go and get these COVID tests. Lord, I hadn't even left the parking spot and I already got into an accident. Translation. I'm not in pole position yet, and already I'm meeting opposition. Translation, Lord, I just went to say something to my mom, and she just automatically started cussing me out. Lord, 
You told me to leave that job and to take this other job, and I did it. And I'm already in financial hardship. Lord, my child is not even one years old yet, and already my child has developed cancer. There's so many challenges, so many struggles. Before we even feel like we're getting into the position to really seek after God, to really do the right thing, to really like, like just go after God's own heart, we feel like there's automatically opposition in our way. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't mean that you escape trials and tribulations. Sometimes it actually means quite the opposite. Jesus said, in this world, there will be many tribulations. But take heart. I've come to overcome the world. So just take heart. I love that phrase, take heart. I have overcome the world. It means Jesus has strategically placed himself in a position so that when you seek after him, it gives you a strategic advantage to finish this race. I think specifically about Nehemiah, Nehemiah 4 and 13. So I'm just read this verse for you real quick. Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings. And I set the people according to their families with swords, spears, and bows. And I looked. And across, I said to the nobles and to the leaders and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember, the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your entire households. Jamerson, that's really dope. That sounds good. Being in a pole position, I love it. I love the fact that I could potentially be there. But sometimes, I just don't feel like I'm in pole position. Romans 10 and 9 says that if you confess with your mouth, Lord Jesus, and you believed in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It says if you believe, it's not about our feelings. It doesn't say if you feel like. It says if you believe that God has raised them from the dead, that you shall be saved. Do you confess? Do you believe? I know it's exhausting sometimes. Oftentimes as believers, we feel like there's so much in this world that's coming against us. But I would actually say that the biggest challenge is not necessarily the challenges that we face in the world, it's the challenges we face in our own expectation of what we think God has in store for us, right? The easy part is the part that we do when we interact with the world in opposition. That's just to be expected, right? Christ told us that, like, we would need to over, that he overcame the world. So that means that we would have trials and tribulations in this world. But sometimes we run into those struggles and we're like, God, I don't know what this is. You know, you think about the old saying, um, you know, um, I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't run with, you know, girls or boys who do, right? So that's the, that's the easy part, right? Like, that's the, that's the kind of baby Christianity of it. It's not necessarily about what you do. It's about setting a standard, and you try to seek after that standard. Paul says specifically in 2 Corinthians 12 and 19, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness, Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Translation, Paul wasn't saying, yo, I love being weak. I love going through like struggle. I love the challenges of life. No, Paul was saying that in those moments where I feel most weak, I love being in that space because I feel like God's love and God's strength is crowding me, is, 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 is cloaking me, is covering me. Those are the moments when we seek most after God or those moments where we feel like, God, I can't make this. And God is like, no, come to me all here, what? Who are burdened and heavy laden. 
for I will give you rest. Because it says specifically what? It doesn't say, oh, like, I'm weary, but like, you know what I'm saying? Like this yoke, I can lift off my own shoulders. No, he said that his yoke is easy. He says that his burden is light. Specifically, when I think about this house and the struggles that people are going through with this whole framing of pole position, I think that sometimes we just get stressed out because we're like, yeah, Jamerson, that's real. Like, I feel like I'm in pole position. God's anointed my life to go out and speak to Judea, Jerusalem, and all those who are far off. But sometimes it just feels like I'm not quite in the race in the way that I think God has me in a race. So another member of this house, Stephanie Pexone, she actually sent me an email recently where, and it's just, I think it's just, it's all God. It was an email from 2014 that I sent to her and uh, uh, Pastor Mickey, who was another member of this house. So I want to read to you a short part of the email because I think it's relevant. And keep in mind, this email is from eight years ago. And she just sent it to me two weeks ago. It says, hey, sister and brother, this is the word that I received yesterday. The Lord said he is going to put us in the fast lane. Wow. However, as we're driving, we will see people in the slow lane passing us by. We'll wonder, why, I'm in a, why am I in the fast lane, Lord, but everyone else is passing me? Our inclination is that we're going to then move into the slow lane because what? Everybody's passing us. But the word of the Lord says, don't look to the slow lane. Just stay where I've put you. Then as we are patient and we persevere, we will begin to overtake those who are in the slow lane. Man, the manifest glory of God. Remember I said what at the beginning that he wouldn't let his word return void. Something that we said, something that he gave me in 2014 just happened to come up the week before he put into my heart to give a word on, are you in pole position? That's just so powerful. I won't read the rest of it because it's, 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 it's relevant, but I, you know, if, any, if individuals want to talk to me individually, I can tell you what the rest of the, what the, rest of the word was. Um, but I believe it's no coincidence that this actually happened, right? Um, so remember back to the beginning where we actually opened, right? The Bible is full of stories of women and men who, who God put into very unique positions and he equipped them. And I know that sometimes we feel like, well, God, I don't feel like you've equipped me, right? God, I don't feel like you've positioned me in the right place. One verse that I love, I believe it's in Exodus 7 and 1. Um, it's where God tells Moses, I have positioned you as God to Pharaoh and Aaron will be your prophet. He doesn't say Aaron will be my prophet. The Lord said Aaron will be your prophet. Translation, the Lord put Moses in a unique position where Moses was in a light shining so bright that Pharaoh saw Moses as if Moses was the instrument, the very oracle of God. That's the position that we want to seek to, put it, to be put in ourselves. And this is not just for Moses. This is countlessly throughout the Bible. I think specifically about um, uh, Habakkuk, which the, I, I've heard the old saints pronounce Habakkuk. So however you pronounce it, whatever church community you come from, Habakkuk or, or, or Habakkuk, there was one particular time where he was facing opposition. And in this particular time, he felt as if God was not answering their prayers. It's when the Chaldeans were coming to take over uh, Israel and take over Judah. And so it says in Habakkuk 1, it's just a laundry list of complaints, right? Think about Jonah. Think about, um, 
Who are some other complainers in the Bible, right? Think about Moses. When Moses says, I don't speak too good, Lord, right? All of these people, it doesn't say, yo, the Lord don't like complaining. It says, the Lord says, seek after me. And in this particular moment, Habakkuk sought after God by saying, Lord, you were, I thought you were the God of this. I thought you were the God who does this thing. I thought you were the God in this moment for this particular reason. And yet, God, look what's happening around us. Then specifically, I want to jump to Habakkuk 2 and 1. Stay here with me for this. Man, Habakkuk 2 and 1 says, after he complained the whole chapter 1, he comes in chapter 2 and he leads with, I'll take my post. I will position myself on the fortress. I will keep watch to see what the Lord says to me and how he will what? Respond to my complaint. The, the Lord wants you to just seek after him. The Lord doesn't designate how you seek after him. If you feel like, yo, Lord, like, I don't know what's going on around me. Lord, I don't want to be that kid. I don't want to be that child. I don't want to be the needy mouth that just gets fed just because I'm complaining. The Lord says, come to me, all ye are burdened who are heavy laden. He didn't say, come to me, all ye who don't have a complaint who are burdened and heavy laden. Habakkuk saw an opportunity. He sought after it. But then he stepped back after complaining and he said specifically, I will position myself on the fortress. I will keep watch to see what the Lord has to say to me and how he will respond to my complaint. There are unique times within the Fortune 500, or I'm sorry, within the Indianapolis 500, where people are put into pole position but just because you're put into pole position doesn't necessarily necessitate that you will finish the race well. It's actually the statistics show that I think it says here only about 22.58% of those who actually start out in pole position will actually be the winner of the race. But here's where I want you to just dismiss this analogy and the analogy itself falls apart. You're not in a race against other believers. I think we think that sometimes. We're like, oh, Lord, I don't have the, like, I don't have, like, the, ex the executive and administrative skills of a Pastor Daniel. Or, you know, I, I can't get up here and just, like, just go off on the drums like Pastor Darrell. Or I can't just sit and pray and just seek after the face of God like peace. God isn't comparing you to other saints. God is comparing you to what he's put in you that's possible within you to do. Don't compare yourself to other people because that's where we fall behind. You set your mind and your heart on God and you seek after him. And what? All other things shall come to pass. You have to endure to the end. Matthew 24 and 12 says, And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. That particular phrase always hits me. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. None of us specifically know the day or the hour. We don't know when the Lord is coming. It's up to us to seek after his face 
and put ourselves in the best position as to where he can put us, not through our own effort, as any, lest anyone should boast, but where we can strategically be put into pole position so that we can run the race well. I think specifically about all the people out there who are like, man, Jamerson, why couldn't you, this is the new year, Jamerson, why couldn't you preach about like, oh, good, you know, new, new year, new me? No, it's not new year, new you, it's same you, new year. And in that same you, you can be transformed through the renewing of your mind. You don't have to be new. He can make you new. He can make you new. As I said earlier, it's not said that this thing is going to be easy. And some of us are just uniquely positioned to speak things in different ways that will land differently for different people. But Jamerson, man, it feels like this is like, you know, you're saying like, wow, this is all about the struggle. This is all about tribulation. This is all about trials that are going to happen in my life. No, this is about the one who can overcome those trials, the one who can overcome those tribulations, the one who can overcome those struggles. This is the word of the Lord for you today. I actually think specifically back to, and I'm going to, he didn't know I was going to say this, and I didn't know I was going to say this. But I remember um, I used to be part of Pastor Daniel's small group, and um, we, we were prophesying a word over each other one time. And the word that he gave me was overcomer. And so then I thought in my, God, in my heart, God, why is it that when you have me preach this particular word or when you have me preach other words, it seems like it comes from a place of triumph, be, trying to be triumphant over an obstacle that's being put in front of you? Because that's the word over my life. You will be an overcomer. I think we try and like be, we try and put ourselves in a position to be what a person wants at a particular moment. We need to stop doing that. You can't be all things to all people. But you also can't be one thing to all people. It's up to you to like seek after the spirit of God, seek after the face of God. And in every moment where someone needs something specific, you speak to that particular need. Well, whether Paul said that um, uh, for those who are mourning, mourn with them. For those who are joyful, be joyous with them. Um, I think it's James who talks about, you know, um, um, if you're mourning, then or if, if your spirit is mourning, you know, find people who are going to mourn with you. If you need prayer, you go to the elders of the house to pray. If people are celebratory and are, have hearts of joy, then you experience that joy with them. That's a paraphrase, obviously. But there are moments when we need to try and dig down deeper and just really connect and ask God, what is it that you have for me in this moment, in this time, for such a time as this? New year, same you, but transforming yourself into a new you that you can walk into this new year triumphantly. And I know it's been hard this past two years. So much has happened. We've lost so many people over the past two years. We've lost people in this house over the past two years. The Lord would allow us to overcome. Just keep seeping after him diligently. And I know it's hard right now. You might be a person who is down in Southern California who was recently laid off and you're like, man, Jamerson, I'm in pole position, but I feel like I need something more. 
You might be a, a mom who's parenting in, uh, in Hawaii who's like, Jamerson, this is a struggle. I don't know if I can do this any longer. You might be sitting in a, a rural community in West Virginia and you're just like, you know what? I look around the destruction of the community around me and I don't know what to do. You could be somewhere in Detroit and being like, wow, I feel like, I feel like this community I live in, I feel like there's no returning. I feel like there's no redemption. There's always redemption in Christ Jesus. So as you hear this word and you're like, Jamerson, you've thrown out a lot of amazing people in the Bible. I don't really understand, but I want to know a little bit more about this Jesus that you're talking about. We're going to drop a link in the chat where you can connect with us. As Aaron was saying earlier, this is the church community that if you don't have your own church community and you need a virtual space to connect with people, this can be a community to do that. You may be like Jamerson. I know Jesus, but I feel like I've fallen away over the past two years because of all the trials and tribulations. We're going to drop a link for you, too. You just click on this link and you can text us and someone will be connected to you and they will actually pray for you. You may be like, Jamerson, you know what? I feel like I'm running this race. I feel like I'm in pole position. I feel like I'm going to finish this thing well, but I need a little help because I can't do this thing alone. You can also click on that. You can also click on that link as well. That is the reason for church community. God doesn't need the church, but God loves us and we are the church. So what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to help one another. That's our objective. If you really think, if you really want to know what our objective is, it's to love God and it's to love people and to love our neighbor. We would love to stay connected to you. We love you. Even if we don't know you, when the spirit of God dwells in you, it calls you to love one another. So I will say go forth and love one another in Jesus' name. Let me pray us out. Lord God, we just thank you for this opportunity to come together. We thank you for this opportunity to connect with one another. We thank you for opening our hearts to just seek after your face, to be more diligent, Lord God, to put ourselves into pole position, Lord God. And we just ask that as we leave this place, that your spirit dwells with us after we leave, Lord God. We take it into our homes. We take it into our communities. We take it into our workplace. Lord God, we just want to stay connected to you, Lord God, because you're our source and our strength. And we just honor you. And we ask you to bless all those who aren't here. We just ask you to allow those who aren't well to just get well quickly. And we just ask that you, Lord God, just use this as an opportunity to just manage each and every one of our own expectation of what you called us to be. We love you and we praise you and we honor you on this day. In Jesus' name, amen.